Good morning. Dedo lived in the 7th century in a time when the Merovingian kings occupied France. He'd risen through the junior ranks to a prominent position in the king's court when at the age of 30 his life took an unexpected twist and turn, from legal and royal affairs to ecclesiastical matters. Rather unexpectedly, to say the least, Dedo found himself elected to be the next Archbishop of Rouen. In those days, archbishops were chosen not by an ecclesiastical body, but by the people. Yet Dado wasn't even a priest. Very hurriedly, he was ordained and a year later became the archbishop, when his name changed to one, by which he's more famously known. Today is the closest Sunday to the festival of St. Juan, which falls on the anniversary of his death each year, the 24th of August. You may then be a little surprised to realise that the reading that I've chosen for today's gospel is actually from the life of the saint of a neighbouring parish, St. Peter. But hopefully we'll see these two men had more in common than a name change due to a shift in vocation. The context to the gospel reading is one most will find familiar. It's where Peter has ridden over his own emotional roller coaster in the previous weeks, like we all are at present, as a result of betraying Jesus on that dramatic evening before Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. The emotional roller coaster we ride through this storm has been termed the Corona Coaster. By the way, if ever we were in doubt about the impact that this storm was having upon our mental and emotional health, I read an article in the Guardian newspaper last Wednesday reporting results that had come out from the Office of National Statistics that in June of this year in the UK, one in five people were experiencing depression. This is why we're teaching this series, looking at how Jesus helps us to remain emotionally healthy and spiritually alive as we daily ride this thing, this emotional roller coaster that we ride through this storm. And to help us, we're, we're looking at some of the invitations that Jesus gave in the Gospels that were so transformative to those first hearers and have been ever since. And then we're rooting each of these invitations in an ancient practice that we can work out on through this week to help us not just survive this storm, but to thrive through this storm, which is God's desire for each of us. Today's invitation is perhaps the, the one most frequently used by Jesus in the Gospels. It's also the same invitation that Jesus gives to you and me today. It is two words. Follow me. Before we unpack this invitation in the context of Jesus's invitation to Peter at the end of John's gospel, let me try and explain both the Hebrew and Greek origins to what those first hearers would have understood this invitation to mean. Firstly, to a Jew, hearing those words, follow me, meant one thing. It was the words every aspiring Jewish male teenager wanted to hear. Yet in a week where exam results are very topical, it was only the very, very best of the A-star equivalent pupils who ever heard them. Maybe one in a thousand. It meant in a 
survival of the fittest education system you were deemed to be the very, very top of the class in terms of your Old Testament knowledge and understanding. Upon leaving school then at the age of 13 or 14, the star pupils would then present themselves to well-respected rabbis to ask if they could follow them. And what would then follow would be a rigorous and intense assessment process with many of the best dropping out, falling by the wayside and going back to their village to enter the family business. If though, after this process, the rabbi believed you were the best of the best and had the potential to be like him, he would say these two words to you, follow me. These two words meant the rabbi believed the pupil could be like him. He would be a worthy follower. The pupil would then abandon everything he'd ever known and loved and follow the rabbi. For he was now entering the world of being a disciple. There was no higher invitation than that to receive than that of a rabbi. Or one more thing. If you ever failed the rabbi, It was instant excommunication. It was so bad, you'd probably never get a pupillage with any other rabbi either. That's the Hebrew understanding. That's what the the Jew would have understood by those words. Here's the Greek meaning of the word follow. It's the word akalatheo. It means to follow after someone or to follow after something in a determined and purposeful manner, expressing union and likeness in going the same way. And it's always used 77 times in the context of following Christ in the Gospels. So here's a question this morning. Was Jesus a rabbi? What do you think? Was Jesus a rabbi? Of course he was. We're told in the the scriptures, the crowds were astounded at Jesus' authority for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So Jesus the rabbi says to men like fishermen and tax collectors, these two words, follow me. He said to men who left the education system at the equivalent of after infant school and to outcasts, I believe you can be like me. Imagine how Jesus made them feel. There was no higher invitation. The saviour of the universe is saying to all who can hear, including ourselves this morning, follow me. There is no greater invitation in your life or anyone's life than to take up the offer of Jesus and make it your own. When he says to you, follow me, I believe you can be like me. Then we come to the end of John's Gospel. And here's Peter. Remember what I said to to deny a rabbi meant instant expulsion, immediate excommunication, being walked out of the building and needing to find a new career. What would Jesus say to Peter after Peter's colossal betrayal of him? They end up going for a walk on the beach. Remember the prophetic picture for this series from the last chapter of Song of Songs and verse 5. Who is that coming out of the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? Who is that coming out of the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? This is the vision for you and me as we journey through this storm. 
that we would do so leaning on Jesus to the extent that everyone we know sees it and sees the change of Jesus in us. When Jesus and Peter get back to the fire where breakfast had been cooked on, what those gathered around see as the two return is a metaphorical picture of Peter coming towards them, leaning on Jesus. Why? Because Peter had heard those two words again. He was desperate to hear. Despite everything that had gone on before, Jesus says to him once more, follow me. I still believe, Peter, you could be like me. Changed his life. Today's invitation is firstly born of coming home, of being reconciled with God. It's an invitation which goes beyond forgiveness because Peter is not just forgiven. He is reconciled with Jesus because of Jesus's unconditional love for him. It was this same unconditional love which Jesus demonstrated to all of us in his death in bringing reconciliation and peace between us and God to enable us to find our true home in him. It was this love which one too experienced at a relatively young age and which drove him then on to become a minister of reconciliation both in secular and religious affairs. Today's invitation is firstly one of coming home and being reconciled with God. It's secondly one of commission. Peter isn't just reconciled with Jesus, he's given a new commission to lead the flock and serve the church. It was the same invitation one also received when he's consecrated to be the Archbishop of Ruin, a post in which he served for 43 years. It will be the same with us. Once we've been reconciled with God, so too we receive that invitation in following Jesus to be commissioned to serve him. And then thirdly, Today's invitation is one of challenge. Peter is informed that there will come a time when he will have to go and take a path that he will not want to travel, which he then will do. At the age of 30, when one was archbishop, elected archbishop, it was the last job that he wanted to do. He resisted, he tried to escape his new calling, but to no avail. He realised too he was called on a journey down a path that he did not want to travel in becoming a priest and then an archbishop. It's a reminder there will be moments for all of us when we too are asked to travel down a path that we may not want to go, that it will be far from a smooth journey. As Jesus said elsewhere to all who've heard it, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. We may be feeling some discomfort now in this journey that we go through, through this storm. Jesus says, follow me this way. I believe you could be like me through this storm. Today's invitation is thirdly one of being challenged to commit. To help us then apply today's invitation and to grow in our emotional strength, What I've done is I've adapted and fused an ancient practice which is designed on a conversation with God. It's known as the examine. And I've combined it with 
with a famous poem about someone who, after a dream, goes for a walk with God on the beach. You'll know what that poem's called. It's called the poem Footprints. For the purposes of this exercise, the context, though, isn't your whole life as you review it and talk with God, but the past five months. Because this week we passed through 150 days of when we've been living with some sort of restrictions in Jersey. You could actually do this exercise like like Peter would have done it on the beach. We've got plenty of them, haven't we? You can do it sitting, you can do it walking, but here's how it works. It's a five-step process. Step one is to just find a place. Find a place where you can be quiet and still and just invite the Holy Spirit into your conversation. Step two is then to replay. It's to think about this storm. To think about this storm and ask God to show you, you know, what's been good? What's been difficult? What have been the significant encounters with him? And as you do and start to chat to him, notice what feelings, both good and bad, start to surface. And just spend some time there. Then step three is to rejoice. You see, every examine is based upon thanksgiving. What do we want to give God thanks for through this storm? It could be a stronger family relationship. It could be where you've been remembering so much God's faithfulness. It could be how you've changed. It could be when you've realized that like in that poem that there's only been one set of footprints in the sand because that is where God has been carrying you through this storm. And we then start to pray. To turn our thankfulness into prayer and just being still once more as to what he might want to say to you. Step four is to repent. It's maybe where we want to say sorry to God for those times when we haven't lived more closely with him through the storm. Maybe what work is there still to do in our lives? And we just say sorry to God. I shouldn't have done that. And to feel the peace of God's forgiveness. And then step five is to reboot. It's to just think through everything that, that has gone through and just think, where has God changed me through this storm to be more like him? You know, where is there still work to do? And then just close off with God. You know, you could actually do this practice, not just thinking about it through the storm. You could do this every day and just change the context of the storm to your day. Where you just invite the Holy Spirit into your life at the end of your day, where you replay your day about what's been good, what's been bad. You thank God, you rejoice in the things, you repent of the things where you just haven't lived with him and you reboot again, committing to live your life for him. In closing, let's go back to those links between Peter and one. You know, when one was archbishop, he built a church in Rouen and actually called it St. Peter. In a poignant twist, shortly after one's death, he was canonised as saint and reburied inside that church behind the high altar. And the church became known as the Church of St. Juan. There is still a church today in ruin called St. Juan. Well, actually, it's a huge abbey. The well-known Victorian writer, artist and social influencer John Ruskin is said when asked, which is the loveliest church in Christendom, to have answered, 
the glorious Abbey of St. Juan at Rouen. Whilst never a competition, I was struck by those words and wondered what one would say in response. I think in the way he lived his life, he would see it as a great honour for any church named after him to be called the loveliest church. And we too may be thinking, well, yes, we have a church named after St. Juan too, and it's a lovely parish church, which it is. But the church like Juan and Peter so famously knew is not a building, but is defined as the people. It's a timely reminder in these turbulent times for all of us of our highest calling as the church to be in the words of C.S. Lewis, little Christ in this island, and thereby remain spiritually alive and live our lives giving testimony to the God of love and his transformative work in our lives and anyone's lives. It is this, Jesus' loveliest work in us, as we walk through this storm, leaning on him, which will not be just one's or Peter's, but any church named after them's greatest legacy. Shall we pray together? Once again, you might just want to open your arms to just receive everything that God might want to say to you this morning. Living Lord, Lord of the church, who never stops saying, follow me. We thank you for the witness of St. Juan, who we remember today. As your disciples now, may we follow you faithfully and fruitfully, being your loveliest church. In Jesus' name. Amen.